0: Hello friends, this is the What is Public Health podcast with your host, Dr. Kee What is public health? To me, public health is the invisible force that keeps you healthy every day, and I bet you didn't even know it. This podcast is your source of the latest trend in public health. Today is May 5th, 2020, and the World Health Organization has declared May 5th every year as a Save Lives, Clean Your Hands Day. It is a day that we must give thanks to nurses, midwives, and Dr. Ignaz Semmelweis, known as the father and handwashing, and the savior of mothers. Who? Who is this Dr. Semmelweis? Well, let me tell you a story of Dr. Ignaz Semmelweis, and why we call him the father of handwashing. And during this time of the coronavirus COVID-19 pandemic, where everyone is practicing public health hygiene, such as handwashing for at least 20 seconds, which can kill the virus you will learn that hand washing can actually save lives, literally. However, the more of this story that I'm going to tell you is also about why showing data, numbers, and graphs and chart is not enough sometimes. For clinicians, researchers, data scientists, epidemiologists, biostatisticians, and public health professional who love to crunch numbers just like I do, and we love to speak in numbers, we must also remember that people don't remember numbers, but they remember stories. Let our story begin in 1846 in Vienna, Austria, where a Hungarian doctor, Dr. Ignaz Semmelweis In 1846, Dr. Semmelweis was appointed as an assistant at the Vienna Hospital with two maternity clinics, one for medical students training to be doctors and the second one for midwives. At the same time, many hospitals around the world noticed that many mothers in the hospital were dying of a mysterious illness called puroperal fever, also known as childbed fever. Dr. Semmelweis plotted the data points from 1841 to 1846, comparing the first clinic, which was led by medical students, and the second clinic, which was led by midwives. In 1841, the medical students delivered about 3,036 babies although there was 237 deaths in the first clinic. In the second clinic, midwives delivered 2,442 births, although resulting in 86 deaths in the second clinic. Was this just a one-year mishap? So Dr. Semmelweis plotted the data over time. You will see that there's a steady increase over time proportionally in the death rate. By 1846, the first clinic had 4,010 births, and 459 deaths, which is 11.4% death rate in the first clinic led by medical students. In the second clinic, they had 3,754 births and had 105 deaths, which was a 2.8% death rate in the second clinic led by midwives. As an observant scientist, Dr. Semmelai discovered this disturbing trend. He noticed that in the first clinic where they were training medical students, they had an average maternal mortality rate, the death rate, of 9.9%, which was significantly higher than the midwives' second clinic, which had an average of 3.9%. Why are there more mothers dying in the delivery room led by medical students compared to the clinic led by midwives? Dr. Semmelweis used the data to generate hypotheses. The two clinics used almost the same technique for delivering babies, so Dr. Semmelweis eliminated that the deaths could be due to medical practice itself, also known as malpractice as we call it today. Then one day he noticed a close friend accidentally was poked by a scalpel while conducting autopsy and later died from the wound. Then Dr. Semmelweis performed the difficult examination of his friend and he noticed that there was strong similarity in the pathology of his friend's illness and of the women who were dying during childbirth due to childbed fever. Dr. Samwise then observed the behaviors of medical students and midwives before during and after the clinic. Today in public health we call this observational study. At the Vienna hospital it was not uncommon for doctors to perform autopsies in the morning and then spend the rest of the day attending patients in the maternity ward without even washing their hands. I know what you're thinking ill Therefore, Dr. Salamwais concluded that medical students were not washing their hands when they went from doing optopsies and then went straight to the delivery room, whereas midwives mainly remained in the maternity ward the whole entire day and didn't work on optopsy, so there was no opportunity to transfer germs to to the mother. This is why we see a lower maternal death rate in the second clinic. I know you're probably wondering, well, why isn't it 0% in maternal death rate in the midwife's clinic if they were there and washing their hands? In general, there are many causes of maternal death, including postpartum hemorrhage, eclampsia, obstructed labor, and sepsis. Dr. Soundwise implemented a new hand policy. All doctors must do a thorough handwashing protocol with chlorinated lime solution after any autopsy. In mid-May 1847, the maternal death rate in the first clinic was 12.2%, but once the hand policy was enacted, the death rate decreased to 2.2%. That is an 82% decrease. Hand washing surely saves lives, but behavior change is hard as we know it. After six months in early 1847, we see a slow increase in the death rate, increased from 2.2% to 3.5%. Why? The doctors decide to stop washing their hands when they noticed that they were saving lives? Well, not exactly. At this point, there was a new incoming class of medical students, and therefore the new students were not aware of the hand washing policy. This is a teaching moment. When there is a policy, it is important to review from time to time and enforce the policy on newcomers. With this new strict enforcement, we see the death rate start to decrease again to almost 0% in the year of 1848. But then, near the end of 1848 to the beginning of 1849, we start to see a steady increase of death rates in the maternity ward again in the first clinic again. In 1849, Dr. Semmelweis, who is known as a savior of mothers, saving mothers, mothers returning home with their babies, was unable to renew his position in the maternity ward and was dismissed from his position. He was cast away from Vienna and he was blocked from obtaining any similar position in Vienna. He had to go back to Budapest, Hungary. In 1865, he had a mental breakdown and was committed to a mental institution. Two weeks later, he was dead at the age of 47 due to infection, or as rumor has it, he was beaten to death by guards. What happened? There was a policy, there was positive results, and death rate declined. Well, the moral of this story is that timing is everything. Don't just show the data, what's the story behind the data? Dr. Semmelweis was too advanced for his time. He faced sharp criticism, ridicule, and resistance from an established medical community. Here are some speculations. Number one, saving face. The medical community as a whole just couldn't accept the fact that hand-washing policy. When they saw the positive result, Dr. could couldn't back up his discovery with any scientific evidence. So if you want to convince doctor to change, you got to have some strong evidence. Number two, ego. Physicians were unaccustomed to being reproached, recommended by his colleagues. Number three, disbelief. Semmelweis' medical peers just couldn't accept the fact they were the primary cause of childbed fever deaths, the lives of these women. And they just couldn't believe that the lives of these women could be simply saved by better hygiene. So what are some lessons we can learn from Dr. Semmelweis? Well, hypothesis is not accepted until you can prove it with data and publish it. Dr. Semmelweis took 14 years to publish officially his data about his childbed fever finding in 1841 through that time. 14 years to publish is a pretty long time. From my experience as a scientist and a public health professional, it can take between one to three years to test the hypothesis, design the study, run the experiments, run the study analyze the data, and about six months to a year to publish the data. Of course, this depends on different fields. If you have easy access to datasets and conduct secondary data analysis, you can do a study within six months and get a paper out pretty fast. But if you're conducting a clinical trial or a longitudinal study that studies people's health condition over a lengthy time, that study can take several years until it's completed. However, if it's a long study, you can still publish small findings, updates, methods, literature review, commentary in the meanwhile, so you don't lose momentum and still be recognized in the field in the meantime. Number two was the curse of knowledge. Dr. Samwise forgot what it was like to not know something. Samwise couldn't grasp why the medical community couldn't understand his simple hand-washing advice. And number three was narrative evokes emotion. Dr. Samwise failed to tell a story with his data. And number four is the power of data visualization. He failed to visualize his data effectively. I'm not just talking about graphs and figures. You need to visualize the data to your audience. I'm going to spend a little more time on the last two points in detail, storytelling with data and data visualization because they relate to effective communication. And as public health professionals, it is important to not only show the data and numbers, but you must have a story, a purpose, and a big takeaway message whenever you show that numbers. Because people don't remember numbers and figures and data, they remember stories. I know that we can look back at Dr. Samuel with a 2020 vision, but we can not change the past. But we can learn from the past and apply it to the present time to change the future. If Dr. Semmelweis was alive today, perhaps we could tell him to focus on the numbers of mothers' lives that were saved instead of focusing on percentage. We focus on percentage, but how many many mothers were actually saved? What if he would have said this instead to his colleagues? If the first clinic led by medical students had the same mortality rate as the midwives clinic, this hospital could have saved lives of more than 1,200 women between 1841 to 1846. What would 1,200 new mothers mean to you? That mother could be your sister, your wife, your daughter. 1,200 more babies. 1,200 children in the world. That's almost like two to three high schools of children nowadays. Think of all the Mother Teresas and Bill Gates and the next presidents from those 1,200 babies. Did I get your attention now? An image that I create in your head about saving mothers just by washing your hands? You have an image of a mother's face, a baby's face, a child's face. Lives saved by simple act of hand washing. Isn't that better than just saying, based on this plotted graph, we see 9.9% in the, clinic, in the first clinic and 3.9 death rates in the second clinic. Washing hands shows a decrease from 11.1% to 2.2% death rate in the first stage of new hand washing policy. You can start to see the power of storytelling with data. It can literally save lives. Just like many famous people we know, like Van Gogh, who became famous after his death, Dr. Semmelweis did die tragically, and his hand washing policy didn't get backed up until later on when the germ theory was confirmed by other scientists many years later. But he did eventually did get famous. Today, Semmelweis University is a university for medical and health-related discipline located in Budapest, Hungary, and is named after Dr. Semmelweis. Several years ago, I was very honored to be invited to Semmelweis University to give a lecture on newborn screening, which is a public health intervention where babies are tested for a series of genetic and metabolic diseases within the first 40 hours of birth. Walking around Samwise University campus that day made me realize that although his life ended in such darkness and despair and no one believed in him or his theory and he died alone in the mental institution, his legacy changed the world of medical practice every day and for everyone. So during this coronavirus pandemic, we should all thank Dr. Samwise for his dedication to saving mothers, saving lives, and remember him as the father of hand washing. If you got questions about any of the episodes, feel free to reach out to me directly. And while you're there at it, please subscribe to the podcast and share the episode that you felt connected with so we could be a part of this collective invisible force called public health. Thanks.